Hmm. Good morning, Trinity Church. Hello, everyone. Ah, thanks. Uh, thank you so much for being here. It's good to see you all. Uh, special thanks to our uh, media team for putting uh, that bumper video together. It's awesome. I don't know who they got to do the voiceover for that, but doesn't he just sound like intelligent and attractive? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> My name is Josh Lee. I'm the student ministries pastor here at Trinity, and um, I'm I'm excited to be talking to you this morning. I'm excited about a lot of things, actually. Something I'm uh, incredibly beyond comprehension-ably, that's a word, excited about uh, is, uh, I got a little announcement, actually. If you want to take a look at the screen, we're pregnant. <laughs> ah! Oh, I'm so jazzed. Oh. Look at those people, just so happy. There's a baby. There's a human growing inside of my wife. Whew. That gives a whole new meaning to the word being indwelt, you know? Like, <laughs> wow, ah, that's so fun. On, um, on Monday, tomorrow, we, uh, are, we're going to find out if it's a boy or a girl, too. Man, people keep asking us, uh, like, what do you think? What do you feel like it'll be? It's like, I, I'm thinking it's either going to be a girl or a boy, for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> it switches day to day. You think of, oh, man, like a boy, a son. Then you think of, oh, my daughter, like... It's me saying those words. Other people say those words, but I don't say those words. I say dad and mom. I don't say my child, you know? <laughs> still wrapping my head around it. Uh, still wrapping my head around it, but I'm, I'm real excited. Something that um, my wife and I have been noticing a lot is that <clears throat> people, um, they, they love sharing their, their pregnancy stories, their birthing stories. Um, <laughs> some of them more intense than others. But um, it, it's, it's been sweet. When, uh, whenever we're kind of going through a, a life experience, people, they, they want to share their experience as well. I, uh, I find that, um, and maybe you found it in your life too, that one of the, the ways we like sharing our, our stories and our experiences is whenever the topic of like, how did you get a, a scar or something in your life shows up, people are like, oh yeah, check out my scar, or like, oh yeah, like, look at this, you know, like let me tell you the story. Um, I was wondering um, if we could actually do that for just a second today. Uh, I was wondering if you could think about maybe a, a scar you've gotten somehow, and if you could condense it down into like three words right? So like, uh, like for me would be a uh, Roman candle fight would be one. And then um, it was ill-advised. And then like, like rock climbing slide would be another, another one. Anybody got like a three word scar story for us? Anybody? Yeah. I saw some hands. Yeah. You got a hand right here. Chin cracked on. Nice. All right. I like it. I like it. On what? Leaving it on a cliffhanger. I like that. In the back, we got one. Asphalt poisoning. I don't even know what that means. That's fascinating. Three words? Barbed wire fence. Ooh, I don't want to see that one. That sounds good. Uh, last one in the back. Pear tree branch. Pear tree branch. Oh, those pear trees, they always get you, you know? <laughs> I think it's, uh, it, it's funny as, um, as humans, we want to we wanna share our stories, we want to communicate the things that have gone on in our lives, and often maybe you find it if you're at a, a dinner party or out with your friends, someone brings up a story, then someone's got another story, and someone's got another story, and it's, it's not, you're not, in like, you're not trying to intentionally one-up each other, but it just becomes this sort of tennis match of like, oh, you like that story? How about this one? Oh, how about this story? No, I got this one. Boom, you know? And we, we don't do it intentionally 
Sometimes I think we do, but it kind of happens a little more naturally. We just start looking at each other and we go, man, that's amazing. I can't believe that they ran a marathon. I could never do that. Wow, you started your own company and you were like 22 when you had the amazing idea? I didn't even have a cell phone when I was 22 and you were like way into the tech industry. Wow, that's amazing. I could never be like her. Oh, he's, he's something I aspire to be one day, but I'm not. In life, we constantly are kind of evaluating each other. We kind of end up with this, this pedestal-based mindset. And maybe the place you see that most clearly is at the Olympics, right? It's literally a pedestal we're putting each other on, right? Did you come in third? Cool, you get the bronze pedestal. It's good, but it's not the silver pedestal. But oh man, it's definitely not the gold pedestal. And if you do any research into the Olympics or talk to anybody who's like won a medal, you'll find out an interesting thing that people would rather get a bronze medal than a silver medal. If you've gotten a bronze medal, I just made it into top three, awesome. If you get a silver medal, you didn't get a gold medal. And that's psychologically just for an Olympian so frustrating. You almost had the number one thing. Number three is like, I'm just happy to be here, you know? But number two, you were right there. You could have been gold. We have this pedestal-based mindset, and we do it all the time in our lives. We live a life that is based on heroes, based on people we look up to, based on influencers that influence us, right? It's in the name. We are surrounded by people that we're supposed to like attribute greatness to. And what's so fascinating is that we actually can't, again, at the Olympics, like in the physical way you can, but like in our culture, in our life, we actually are not able to elevate each other. You can't actually put someone up on a pedestal, figuratively speaking, because you don't have the authority to do so. It doesn't work like that. You're not omnipotent, omnipresent, right? You don't have the authority. In order for you to lift somebody up, what you have to do is lower yourself down. I didn't win a gold medal. I didn't start a company at 22 and have this amazing idea. I don't have the home that my family and friends do. You know what? I, my, my marriage isn't like their marriage. Their kids are so well-behaved, and mine are monsters. <laughs> I am not as confident as she is. I... I can't tell a story like he can. I can't win friends and influence people. I'm like all the way down here. They're all the way up there. Look at the height, the pedestal that they're up on. You can't raise them up. All you can do is lower yourself down. And we don't realize that we do it. It happens automatically. It's the culture that we live in. Don't believe me? What was your GPA in high school? What were your, I like that sigh of, oh. <laughs> like, what were your friends' GPAs, right? You knew who the best person was because they were the valedictorian. They were the captain of the team. They were the star of the show. Maybe that was you. Awesome. Maybe it wasn't. 
and we carry that stuff, right? We still remember the names of the people in our high school that were the valedictorian or the captain of the team. I haven't talked to those people in decades, yet I know exactly who they are. We live in a pedestal-based world. So the question today and what we'll be <clears throat> looking at in 2 Corinthians is what do we do in the face of that pedestal-based world? How do, we, how do we exist with the knowledge of Christ in our lives in this pedestal-based world? How do we counteract it? How do we live the way that Christ lived? What do we do? We'll start off in, we'll start off, we'll be in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 today. And um, I, I'm excited to be going through this chapter, answering this question for us, because it's something that we desperately need. And I, I, really, uh, I really like this chapter of 2 Corinthians, because uh, it is very different from the others. Uh, Paul, who wrote this letter to the Corinthians, by the way, uh, the third letter he wrote to the Corinthians even though it's called 2 Corinthians, there's the first letter he wrote, there's the, uh, the painful letter that we don't uh, have, that one's been lost, and we have the third letter, which we call 2 Corinthians. But so he's writing this letter to the Corinthians, and in this chapter, he starts it out in such an interesting way, which is so, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to look at it with uh, you all. If you were here last week, you heard um, from Pastor Doug talking about chapter 10 and bringing up the uh, ideas where Paul begins talking about comparison in our lives. And he's talking specifically about the Corinthians were looking at speakers, they were looking at teachers, those providing wisdom or, you know, pseudo-wisdom to them, and they had kind of this ranking system. They were attributing greatness to specific individuals that shouldn't have had greatness attributed to them. So, let's jump in. Paul starts things off. Chapter 11, verse 1. I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. What? Paul's going to tell a joke? I hope you'll put up with me in a little foolishness. Paul, you're not like the foolish guy, okay? If you're the Corinthians, you're like, Paul showed up, he began the church, and then we got 1 Corinthians. That letter had a lot of knowledge, but like, man, he's, you know, he's really convicting us, right? The painful letter showed up. Oh my gosh, Paul, you, you called out all of our stuff and laid it bare before us. We don't know what was in there, but he relates to it. He talks about this letter, and he begins 2 Corinthians with reconciliation, saying, yeah, I know that hurt. But here we go. We can get back in the zone. Uh, a couple chapters ago, a couple weeks ago, Paul begins this topic on generosity, what, what giving, being gracious looks like. And now we're into comparison, right? All right, everybody, it's showtime. Here's Paul doing some stand-up. The Corinthians are like, Paul, this doesn't match really with you. Please put up with me. Paul, are you going to like make fun of us or something? I, I kind of don't. I don't know where you're going with this. He immediately comes in. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Okay, guys, he's probably not going to make fun of us or anything. I don't know what this foolishness is, but I don't understand. I don't want you to be deceived like early humanity was deceived way at the beginning. Okay, cool. Paul's for us, everybody. He calls their devotion to Christ pure and sincere. And they go, yeah, okay, Paul. I don't know where you're going with this, but I feel pretty good right now. All right, Paul, tell us what you have. 
Verse 4, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus that we preached, oh man, that's never happened. Or if you receive a spirit different from the spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit you received, okay, cool, uh-uh. Or a different gospel from the one that you accepted, no, nah, definitely not. You put up with it easily enough. Oh. Wait, Paul, Paul, hang on, you don't understand, okay? You're talking about a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. Listen, Paul, um, you know, we, we like you and everything, and you're great. You got a lot of wisdom, I guess, but, but these people who've been coming by and speaking to us, they're amazing, Paul. You have no idea. They stand up and they just command the room. The stories they tell, how they interweave uh, the message that they're giving in our lives, it, it just it fits it makes sense. Paul, I've understood so much more than when you show up and speak. Paul, they're just kind of better than you. They're really good. They're really well-trained. They're excellent speakers, excellent teachers. And honestly, Paul, they weren't cheap either, all right? We had to throw up an extra collection so that we could pay for that, but you got you to shell out for excellence, you know? You got to pay a little bit more for higher quality, that's what's been going on. And we, we hear that, we see that, and we go, oh, well, well, I, I'm not like that. I, no, that's not, that's not me. No, that's, that's not me. That's not me. That's them. Verse 5, Paul says this, I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles or most eminent apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. <laughs> Remember the earlier letters? Remember my visits? You've seen the knowledge, the wisdom that I'm bringing. It's been perfectly clear to you. Why are you listening to them? I may be untrained. I think that's so amazing, right? Paul, who's going out and preaching the gospel, like every chance he gets, it seems like. He's not a good speaker, have you ever spoken and, and made someone fall asleep? Paul did that. Unfortunately, the guy was sitting in a window and fell out the window and died, right? God miraculously healed him. It was awesome. It's a great story. You should read Acts. Check it out. But Paul, he's not the best speaker in the world, and he admits that. But I do have knowledge Verse 7 says this, Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, figuratively, right? He has this, like, this intensity about that. I, I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. Hey, um, my teaching is unskilled and it's cheap. And if, you, if you're me, if you've grown up in this world, we have, right? You're not an, immediately looking for unskilled and cheap when you're looking for a mechanic, Right? If you're going to go see a show, you're not looking for like, oh, what's like the, 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 the least skill I can find in instrumental play or in uh, like an improv comedy show, right? 
What's the cheapest ticket I can find? A great way to get no one to come to your uh, college improv comedy shows is to tell them, hey, stranger, you should come to our show. Oh, really? What is it? Oh, it's an improv comedy show. It's going to be really great. We're all like self-taught. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. I have a free ticket if you want one. No, no, I'm fine. No, I'm good. Thanks. I'll go to the movies. We don't live in a world of, un, of unskilled and cheap. And you might think, Josh, you know, I, I, I've grown up in that world, but, you know, I don't judge a book by its cover anymore, which is a lie. When you look at a book, you immediately judge it by its cover, right? That's why they have covers. Otherwise, it would just be stacks of paper, you know? But you might think, Josh, I, I, I've been working through a lot of that, right? It's not how I'm fine-tuned anymore. I put that aside. I don't believe you. Because psychologically, you are predisposed to appreciate something more if you think it's more valuable, if you think it's more expensive. You see this in uh, uh, psychological study again and again. And uh, very popularly, maybe you've seen it on TV, those commercials where you've got all of these people in a fine dining restaurant, right? It's white tablecloth. All the waiters have like, uh, you know, like bow tie and cummerbund or crumberbund. It's crumberbund, right? I know there's a tension there, but they would sweep crumbs into it, like it's a crumber bun. That's the thing. Um, I don't know if I just blew your mind right now. But so, uh, yeah, so the waiters are all looking nice, and they're enjoying this amazing gourmet pasta meal, right? And after 10 seconds of the commercial, suddenly we see people uh, walking in from the local like pizza joint, right? They've got their hat on and their shirt, and they're carrying food, and they're like, no, all of the food was catered from the pizza place around the corner. And everyone at the table, they're all shocked. What? I had no idea. And the whole point is the pizza joint is basically saying, we're essentially gourmet food, right? And you think, I, I would never be taken in by that. Absolutely you would. A plate of pasta that's $80 a plate, you're going to go, this is going to be great. I'm going to really enjoy this. And psychologically, you do. Then later you find out, oh, no, it actually costs $5. And you're like, you feel diminished? Because you're like, I thought I had this astute palate, you know? You're psychologically predisposed. You've grown up, you've been infused by a world that tells you to value high skill, high education, that means high quality. To value expense, it means it's going to be good. Paul jumps in on that immediately, saying, yeah, I'm unskilled, but I've got the good stuff. Yeah, it was cheap, that was a gift to you. That doesn't diminish the things I had to say because it didn't cost you any money. Paul's telling us, your world, it's upside down. You're viewing things incorrectly. You're not looking for the, the depth, the wisdom in what's taking place. You're just, you're taken aback by the presentation. Does that say that we shouldn't present things in a good way? I'm wearing a microphone for a reason, people. Like, there is an element to being able to hear, being able to connect. Something that I hear uh, worship leaders say all the time is that their goal is to try to remove distraction from you so that you can worship God. I love that. Is it about the music? Is it about the sound? No, the point is so that you can worship God more purely. And we use music to help accompany that, to remove distraction. I love that. Okay, Paul, our world is upside down. What do we, like, what do, we do with that? He doesn't tell us yet. He keeps going in this, in this kind of cycle of, um, of comedy. 
The next thing he throws at us is in verse 10. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Paul, it doesn't sound like you're boasting. You just said you were unskilled and like don't charge when you talk. I, I, I don't see the irony yet, Paul. I don't understand. Verse 11, why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. Again, we see that repeat again, right? Paul, you're going to be ironic. Oh, Paul, I thought you loved us. Are you making fun of us? No, I love you. We see that a second time. He's reassuring them. I'm being ironic. I'm doing something in order to show you a path that you haven't considered. I've tried to teach you things repeatedly, and you're not getting it, so I'm taking a different path. I don't know if you're a teacher or you've ever taught anybody something, but they're just not understanding, right? They're not getting, put your foot in the batter's box and then stand. Okay, now bend your knees. Now put your hands up. You want to point your elbow, okay? When the ball comes, you want to keep your eye on the ball. You want to watch the ball hit the bat. You want to like pivot, you push your hips all the way through, throw your hands forward, and then you got to squish the bug. Remember squishing the bug? You got to squish the bug. And the kid is just not getting it, right? You start trying different things. You start working out differently. Paul's doing that. He's saying, okay, I'm about to do something, and I love you. That's why I'm doing this. Verse 12, and I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. He's pointing again at the most eminent apostles, quote unquote, the super apostles. Verse 13, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers. Whoa. I just thought they were like media, like teachers that like were all about the, the performance and not about the message. They're, they're actually specifically trying to deceive the Corinthians. Deceitful workers masquerading as the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, masquerading as the apostles of Christ. Whoa. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Paul's making a comparison between these people and Satan himself. And maybe you're thinking today, like, great, that's all, that's all neat and figurative and stuff, but, but what's Paul kind of meaning by that? He's not being figurative. He's not saying, yes, Satan, therefore the powers of darkness. He's like, no, literal Satan. The angel that fell from heaven with a third of the other angels, commonly called demons. He's referencing this battle that Pastor Doug talked about last week, right? Not a battle of flesh and blood, but of but of demonic strongholds, of principalities and powers. There's this battle going on that you cannot see. And these people who are speaking to you, they're giving you lies. They're giving you a Jesus other than the Jesus that we preached. They're, they're causing you to accept a spirit that is not the Holy Spirit. Yikes. Talk about being indwelt, but by the wrong thing. A gospel that's different from the true gospel. You're under attack. Paul is essentially saying, and you've been missing it. And often, you know, in our, in our culture, we don't give a lot of credence to spiritual warfare, right? When we hear missionaries that go across the world and they talk about demons being cast out, they talk about these amazing miracles that take place and manifestations of spiritual forces and stuff, and we go, wow, that's amazing that that happens in Africa. That's amazing that that happens in Indonesia. But I don't see that happening at home we get this mindset of, yeah, that happens other places. Or you know what? I don't know if I really believe in all of that. If you believe in God, if you believe in the Bible, that means you believe in angels, that means you believe 
in demons, that means you believe in Satan. I don't know, Josh. Or maybe, you, uh, you, maybe you're a little more like me. When you hear about a spiritual war going on, you're like, put me in, coach. That's awesome. I'm going to put on the armor of God, you know, like it's going to be great. I'm going to have the sword of the spirit. Here we go. Let's find some evil and let's like vanquish it in the name of Jesus, you know? We can, um, we can have two of those opinions most often. And great writer, C.S. Lewis, written um, great theologian. If you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, the children's story, it's him. Other books, Screw Tape Letters, Mere Christianity. If you're ever uh, going through something difficult, a grief observed, whew, couldn't get through the first paragraph of that. I like, sobbed in the ministry building. Great, great writer, great man, great theologian. He said this in his book, The Screw Tape Letters, which uh, he is kind of having this ironic conversation between two demons about how to best tempt humanity, right? So it's this kind of ironic sort of thing. It's a great book. You should check it out. But he says this right at the beginning. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils or demons, fallen angels, pick your term. One is to believe in their existence. Sorry, one is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Okay, Josh. So, so we're under attack, but we don't want to be like seeking out evil in order to vanquish evil, right? Similar thing of when Paul talks about don't sin more to receive more grace. You're focusing on the wrong thing. And we don't want to ignore what's going on. What do we do? You have a calling on your life. God has called you to things. You are a train moving forward, right? And you're going. You're chugging along. Sometimes you're going fast. Sometimes you're going slow. Sometimes just moving forward is just grating and difficult and steel is squealing against steel as you go forward but you're going, and occasionally, bandits are going to come and attack your train. What do you do? Stop the train, get off, fight. Now they're winning. You're focusing on them. The train has stopped moving. No, push them away. Cast them out. No, get out of here. I'm moving forward. I'm focusing on Jesus. You don't focus on a counterfeit to ferret out counterfeits. You focus on the real thing. Focus on the truth. The lies go away. So, our world's upside down, Paul. Paul, we're under attack. What do we do? I know that you're kind of doing this ironic sort of thing, but I, I need you to drop it down. I need you to lay it out for us. And he does that. Verse 16 says this. It says, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. Okay, Paul, we get it. You don't understand. I'm being foolish. Okay, I think we get it at this point. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool so that I may do a little boasting. Okay. Okay, Paul, are we finally going to get to this boasting you're talking about? You kind of keep saying the word boasting, but then you're sort of not boasting. Here we go. We're warming up. Here we go. Verse 17. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Okay. Yes. Irony. Here we go. What do you got, Paul? Verse 18. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. Oh. Okay. Paul's going to boast? Like, I think we're really going to have him boast, actually? Is, is Paul going to talk about, like, all the miracles that God does through him? There are a lot. Is he going to talk about the time the guy fell out the window and then the Lord healed him? That was amazing. 
Is Paul going to talk about the time when the woman who could see the future because she was possessed by a demon was calling things out after him and he cast the demon out? What a story. Is Paul going to talk about how when he would walk around, people would touch his clothing and be healed? Not only that, he could touch a rag or something or a garment and then put it down and walk away. People could take those rags, carry them to other individuals, lay them on them, and they would be healed. Paul, what stories are you going to share? What boasting are you going to do? Lay it out for us, man. This is exciting. Verse 19, you gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. Oh, right, the ironic part. I kind of forgot. I got really excited, Paul. Where are we going with this? Verse 20, in fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Oh, oh, okay, Paul. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. We're weaving in and out of this irony. Paul, what are you teaching us? Verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Cool. Are they the right race? Are they the right people? Are they from the right country? So am I. Do they have the passport that when you travel in other countries, you get more access to other countries? Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. The chosen people of God, the people that God followed, the people that other nations were afraid of, the people that when they crossed the Jordan River to enter into Jericho, everyone in Jericho is terrified because they know the Israelites are coming. They have like a God, a powerful God with them. So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they from the right family? Yeah. Am I from the right family? Yeah. Abraham's descendant. I can trace my lineage all the way back to Abraham. That's like, that's more than the better neighborhood, right? That's tracing his lineage all the way back to before, before everything, before all of the people. Wow. What a pedigree. Paul's Ivy League. He's old money, you know? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind talking like this. I am more. Ooh, servant of Christ. Okay, here we go, Paul. Here come the miracles. I've worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Paul, um, you're missing the point. You're supposed to talk about the miracles. Don't talk about, like, your suffering. That's, that's a bummer. That bums us out. Paul, um, you're, you're comparing yourself to the super apostles, right? You're sounding super, you're sounding super, you're sounding super, and then suddenly you're um, exposed to death again and again. What mistakes did you make? What were you doing that you put yourself in danger? You probably shouldn't have been doing that, Paul. That was probably dumb. Were you having a Roman candle fight, Paul? Bad call. Paul talks about his suffering. And here's where the flip is. Here's where the irony that we've been building up to really crescendos. Paul says this. Verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Five times. One more whip crack would have been a death sentence. He was whipped to near death, one away. Five times? What did his back look like? Was he, when he would lay down because of all the scar tissue, would it feel like he was laying on tennis balls? I can't imagine the scar tissue buildup. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Those break bones when they hit you. Paul, could you stand up straight, or were you permanently hunched from all of the broken vertebrae that took place? I was pelted with stones. That's a death sentence. People don't talk about the time they were at the electric chair or the gas chamber or lethal injection. I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three, I spent a day and a night in the open sea. Oh, not knowing if you're going to be rescued, just waiting. Are you afraid of sharks? <sighs> Open water is a scary place. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in the country, at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. And that's just the physical stuff. Now let's get into the emotional stuff. Huh. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches, the pressure of my concern, the stress, the anxiety. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Oh. Oh, Paul, that's exhausting. It's exhausting just to hear about. Oh my gosh. All of your physical pain, all of your emotional pain, why are you sharing that with me, Paul? Why are you telling me about that? That's a huge bummer, Paul. I thought you were going to be funny. I thought you were being ironic to show me something. I thought you were going to be uplifting. Paul finishes with this in verse 30. He says, If I must boast, I will boast of my weakness. And we get it. If I must boast, I will boast of my weakness. Why? Next week, Pastor Steve Springs said he's going to be talking about chapter 12, which is where we get a, a concrete answer to that question because God's power is made perfect in my weakness. But we're going to be focusing on this concept right here of if I must boast, I will boast of my weakness. And why, Paul? Why do you boast of these things? Because, Paul, when I look at you, I see Paul. I see someone so sold out for Christ that he's enduring all of these crazy things. 39 lashes five separate times. Three times beaten with rods. I can't be like that. Pelted with stones, given like the death sentence? Jeez, Paul, shipwrecked three different times? I'm very afraid of water. I don't even go out on a boat, let alone be with sharks. Paul, I would have just lost my mind if that had taken place. In danger from your fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger from unbelievers. Not only are unbelievers seeking you out, but your friends are. The people that you're supposed to be trusting with, the Hebrews, the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, in danger in the city, in the country, hungry, cold, naked, fully exposed. And that's just the physical stuff. What about the emotional stuff? Paul, I can't be like you. That's not fair for you to bring up all of that stuff because I'm not strong enough. Paul, you're all the way up there. I mean, sure, when you're boasting about your weakness, it stirs up things in my mind. Yes, I haven't received the 39 lashes five times, but maybe you're thinking, but you know, like dad was pretty heavy-handed with the belt, you know? I guess I get that. Or maybe you're thinking, I mean, 
mean, he didn't use rods. They didn't, they didn't use rods, but when they, when they came home late at night and you could tell they were in a rage, like they didn't need a rod. Maybe, you know, uh, Josh, I've never, I've never been shipwrecked like Paul was, but you know what? My life is a shipwreck. I'm alone in the open sea and there's no one around me. I'm fully exposed, I'm cold, I'm naked, I'm hungry. I have pain in my life, and it hurts. When the depression comes on me, I get completely immobilized. I go to Ford Park sometimes, and I sit on the park bench staring at the fishing pond, listening to the same song over and over and over and over and over and over again, and I can't get out of it. When the anxiety comes upon me, I can't breathe, I can't think, I can't scream. Paul, when you bring up all of these things, it makes me think of all of the ways that I struggle and have suffered. And, oh, you're, you're not really high and far away anymore. If I must boast, I'll boast of my weakness. Because when you boast of your weakness, it, it shows others who are struggling similarly that there's no pedestal anymore. Paul, you didn't share about all of your miracles because I would have just kept going, I can't, I can't, I can't. You shared your suffering because, yeah, I hurt, I hurt, I hurt. I want to tell you a story about the, the bravest man I ever met. I was in Orange County, uh, in Mission Viejo. I was at the... Um, the kaleidoscope near the freeway, if you're familiar. I'm actually not sure if that's in Mission Viejo because the Mission Viejo Mall is right next to it, but it's kind of not. But I'm at, I'm at the kaleidoscope. I'm at uh, this kind of open-air coffee place. And I go to order a coffee from this gentleman, and he's got the most interesting tattoos on his arms. I kind of can't really make them out. They were sort of really small, and it looked like they were kind of interconnected, kind of woven like a pattern. It's a little confusing. I, I, I place an order, chai latte, and he says, like, thanks. And I'm, I'm kind of looking at his arms going, what, what's the deal? And, you know, he's moving his hands quickly. I kind of can't see. And so I'm thinking about this just the whole time while I'm waiting, for, I'm waiting for my drink. He calls my name. I go over. I grab it. I say thank you. And as he hands it to me, I get a great look at his forearm. And I'm shocked by what I see. I, like, I don't even know if I tasted my drink. I, I go back. And I find a seat, I sit down and I sit there and I sit there thinking, wow, those weren't tattoos, they were scars. I looked at his arms and there were so many scars, very clean line scars, little puckered white scars. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. It wasn't just on the inside, it was on the outside too. Sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, all the way up. So thick. It looked like his skin was rigid, ridged. Not just one arm, the other arm too. I was floored by that. I thought, wow. Wouldn't you wear a long sleeve shirt? And then it dawns on me. Every morning. Every morning he wakes up, he gets ready to go to work or school or whatever he does, and he holds up a long sleeve shirt and he holds up a short sleeve shirt. And he says, will I hide today or will I be brave today? 
He says, will I, will I suppress the things, the hurts that have shown up in my life and not share them, or will I share them with people? Will I try to be on the pedestal today, or will I boast of my weakness to elevate others around me? I don't think I'm that brave to every day bear my scars for everyone to see. But you know what? I am brave enough to, to bear my scars to my spouse. You know what? I, I hope I'm brave enough to bear my scars to my kids. Brave enough to bear my scars to my friends. Maybe you're in a home group. Those are people, trusted people, that you can bear your scars to. You can boast of your weakness. And you think, Josh, it will change how they view me. It'll change our relationship. You're right. It will change their relationship with you. You'll no longer be up here anymore. Suddenly they'll say, they struggled with that too? Wow. I never knew you struggled with depression, Josh. I, I, I do too. Josh, I, I didn't know that this is your third pregnancy and the other two didn't go great. I didn't know, Josh. I've shared about Katie and I's uh, two miscarriages to various people and, and it's amazing because they always have a story to share too, often. Not always, but they say, I know how you feel. We had three. I know how you feel, Josh. We had five, and I think five times. How are you still, how are you still trying? How are you still living? We live in a pedestal-based world. We're under attack trying to force these concepts upon us of levels and prestige. Paul says, boast of your weakness because it elevates those around you. You have a calling on your life. You are a train moving forward. Christ says in Matthew 28, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And maybe like in Isaiah 6, you say, here I am, send me. God says, great, let's go. Roll up your sleeves. I hope you can roll up your sleeves today. After church, maybe you're going to go to lunch with your family or friends, will you take a moment and say, anybody got a scar story? Will you share today? It doesn't have to be that difficult. It doesn't have to be a huge explanation. Maybe you can say, yeah, you know what, Josh? I often miss calls in the morning because I don't sleep with my cell phone next to me at night because having the internet so close to me is too much a temptation. Sometimes I miss calls and texts in the morning. Maybe you say to your home group, you know what, yeah, I, w I woke up this morning and my wife and I, we were still fighting from the night before. All day long, I've, I've been in this stressful place because we just reconciled before we got here. That's where we're at today. Josh, I felt sick this morning because sometimes when I'm with my friends and I start drinking, it's hard to stop and I overdid it. Josh, you know what? I, I just have this weight pushing down and I don't, I don't know what to do with it. It's simple. It's only difficult because we want to stay on the pedestal. I encourage you today, 
or this week? Is there a friend? Is there someone you trust? You don't have to start telling all strangers what your scars are. Start small. Work your way forward. Is there someone you trust that you can confide in, that you can share with, that you can say, hey, look. And then they'll go, yeah, me too. Will you roll up your sleeves today? Would you pray with me? Lord, God, I thank you that you are with us, that you have a calling on our lives. God, I thank you that we don't have to go about this life alone. God, I thank you for giving us Paul to, through a different means than normally we would see in the Bible, I thank you that he reveals to us your truth, God. And God, thank you for modeling that for us as well. Not holding on to the divine, but lowering yourself, God, in order to elevate us. I thank you that you're a God who elevates. God, may we be Christ-like in our elevation of each other. Lord, I, put, I pray a blessing over everybody here today. Father, may you give us boldness and strength to share, to open up, to give others a chance to speak into our life. God, may the images that we look at in the mirror, may we not try to hold on to this perfect kind of outward expression. God, may we show the inside stuff. God, may we share our scar stories with one another, and may we uplift one another. Father, I pray if there's anyone here tonight that is deeply struggling right here, right now, they're just squirming in their chair and they don't know what to do, they're on the verge of tears, they need someone. Father, may they turn to the people next to them and just say, I don't know you, but I think I might need some help right now. At the end of the service, we'll have individuals up here at the front ready to pray for you. Maybe you're like, Josh, I don't know what I need prayer for, I just need something. Come on up and just say, help. Here's a scar story. Father, I thank you that you're with us. I pray that you would bless us this week. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for empowering us. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Amen.